Good morning. When Jerry asked me to come preach, I said it would be a privilege to get out of the incubator that is Florida and to join you here in the sanctifying chill of Indy. Uh, in truth, uh, wherever the saints go, we're sanctified. And uh, how is that? It's by the word of our Lord, especially sacraments and prayer. So let's go ahead and jump into the word. If you turn with me in your scripture to Luke chapter 18, we'll be looking at verse 1 to 8. Hear now the word of our God. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord remains forever. He told them a parable that they ought always to pray, and not lose heart. Always pray, not lose heart. This is not a unique command that we have from God. Elsewhere, we hear in the Scripture to be constant in prayer, Romans 12. Pray in the Spirit at all times, Ephesians 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4. Continually offer a sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13. And pray without ceasing, from 1 Thessalonians. My prayer for you all is that you, if you don't have this unceasing communion with God, a constant prayer, or if you are praying very little, that God would increase you today and always to seek His face, that you might know your need of Him every moment. That He replace negligence with persistence and laziness with discipline and indifference with investment and independence with dependence and rebellion with obedience and disbelief to abiding trust. In short, that you'll pray. You know, we all with are pitiful creatures without Christ, and we have a desperate need for communion in our relationship to God. As one writer said, we pant through an endless series of activities with scattered minds and noisy hearts. We feel strained, hurried, breathless. Thoughts dart in and out of our minds, often with no rhyme or reason. Seldom can we focus on a single thing 
for long. Everything and, ev- everything and anything interrupts our sense of concentration. We're distracted people. But not so if we follow this command of our God to always pray and not lose heart. So we're going to discover this parable in three parts. First, we see that we are to keep coming. Keep coming. Verses 2 to 5 teach us this. Here again is our Lord's story. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards said within himself, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. So here's the scene. There are two main characters. The first character is the judge. Uh, This parable you may have often heard called the parable of the unjust judge. And we aren't told his age or income, his ambitions or desires, but uh, these two important details are enough to really kind of peg the unjust judge. He neither feared God nor respected man. Now, maybe you kids know, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible according to Jesus? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the second, which is like it? To love your neighbor as yourself. And this really shows us that this unjudged, in short, breaks all the commandments. He is an embodiment of evil. As our world is calling good evil and evil good, doing only what is right, In his own eyes. So he represents this whole age, the world, the flesh, and the devil. On the other side, we have a second character, the widow. This parable is more commonly called the parable of the persistent widow, she being the main character. Mentioned about a hundred times in the Bible, the widow is an archetype of, uh, archetypal image of affliction and desolation and vulnerability. For example, Lamentations begins its lament with the destruction of Jerusalem by comparing it to a widow. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Lonely with no one to comfort her, she grieves bitterly. To be a woman, and particularly a woman without a man at this uh, period in the history of God's people, was and it meant powerlessness, really. She dwelt in a place of weakness socially and economically. She had no intermediary, no intercessor, no help. In a word, she had no husband. Now, this woman represents Christ's church. Now, maybe sometimes you shed those bitter tears or find yourself in the place of a widow saying, where is my help? Where is my intermediary? Where is my intercessor? Where's my comfort or husband? Where is my justice? This is what we hear in verse 3. She keeps coming to this unjust judge saying, give me justice from my adversary. 
And this whole parable really turns on that theme of justice. That word comes from the Latin justice with a U, meaning straight or close. So think about in the Old Testament prophets, it'll talk about the plumb line. There's a standard or a basis, a measuring line for morality. Now, God himself reveals, uh, has revealed justice and righteousness throughout history. In some ways, he does it in nature, uh, more eminently in the scriptures, but preeminently in his Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. He is how we know what is right. And we're not left, then, to do what's right in our own eyes, like this judge. But like the widow, we appeal to a true and eternal justice that pours forth from the being and uh, righteousness of God himself. For this justice, the widow makes an appeal, uh, and not just once. She doesn't just come and say, oh, this is it. She does it unceasingly. Uh, incessantly, continually. He would not give her justice for a while, says verse 4, but afterwards he said within himself, though I neither fear God or man, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Now, because this, this is probably in his mind, because this weak worm keeps coming, because I can't escape her annoying shrill voice, because I can't rid myself of her meager pleas and petitions or dodge her in the street, because of this and because I don't want to be wearied any longer, I will avenge her. Actually, the Greek word for wearied is much stronger than that. It literally means lest by her continually coming she give me a black eye. It's lest I be, be beaten black and blue, uh, brow beaten, worn out, beaten to a pulp, right? That's why he gives her justice. Persistence, now what is that? It's the quality that someone will continue doing what they're doing again and again until they've achieve, uh, reach their achievement, right? Even if they're being opposed. And that's exactly what this widow has. When I was about 16 years old, my family uh, went on a whirlwind trip through Europe, and my father took us to Italy. And I'll never forget this one time, we sat on a sidewalk in Florence, eating a meal, and up pops a black-haired child with this massive accordion. Now, I'm sure that, uh, I'm not sure if it was the accordion or the kid, but, you know, for some accordions, the music of the spheres, but this kid could eke out from this thing some of the most soul-shrieking music that I have ever heard in my life. None of us saw him at first, but then he starts playing this accordion, horribly, behind my father with full force, and we tried to be polite and ignore him for a while, but he wanted a tip, obviously. You know? So he keeps playing until um, the police, a policeman actually comes and drags him away like a little rag doll. But guess what happens about two minutes later? He pops back up, playing right behind my father and the Shopkeeper comes out screaming at him in Italian. I'd do an accent for you back down. And uh, he throws it at him, and the kid runs away one more time, and 
Two minutes later, we hear this streaking music, and he's back for a tip. And finally, my father gives in and gives him the money, and the child leaves. I half expected him to come back another time just to get even more, you know. Well, that's the sort of persistence we see with this widow in our text, who will not give up in her petition toward God. You know, the, the Italian boy is silly because he's looking for money, but this widow is looking for justice, for the justice of God. And we must, through our longing and our weakness, hunger and thirst like her for justice, to petition a good father. And why do I say he's good? Well, justice is coming, and that's the next uh, section of our sermon. Verses 6 to 8, justice is coming. Look at that text with me. The Lord said in verse 6, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. The word uh, parable comes from two words. The first, uh, para, means alongside. And the second, bole, means to throw. So it's like, imagine throwing two lines alongside one another. So also, we're meant to compare this story with what comes after. It's similarities and differences. Like an artist who's painting a picture and then has to look at the actual subject once in a while to get it right. So we're led here by Christ to compare this first scene with the second, the widow with the elect and the unjust judge with God himself, the fountain of justice. And I want to look at three points of comparison, uh, focusing on our heavenly father, who is just, loving, and wise. First, he's just. Um, In fact, he himself is justice. Do you hear what the unjust judge said? right? The unjust judge actually gave vengeance. He fulfilled the petition of the widow. And shall not the true God avenge? Uh, Ready to give justice. We heard uh, this morning in our uh, Sunday school, R.C. Sproul talk about this very thing that uh, the unjust judge migrally and uh, like a miser gives the justice that is required for this widow. And Do we believe that a true God who has our best in mind every moment will not give us justice? So the argument is, it's called in Latin, a fortiori, from the lesser to the greater. How much more will God not give us justice if this unjust judge who once in a while happens to dispense true justice, how much more will our God, who is good, give justice? true justice. The heavens declare his righteousness, say Psalm 50, verse 6, for God himself is a judge. And a father of a fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation, said Psalm 68. You see, the story was that the widow came for, to God for justice. And does anyone doubt that God, the judge, uh, as a judge for widows, will in fact, give justice quickly. And yet, when we look around, I mean, the world is full of injustice, of unjust judges, corrupt politicians, greedy businessmen, heartless thugs, or 
not even in the world, but we take a look inside our own hearts or in our own communities, and we likewise see injustice being perpetrated. But our situation is actually uh, better in some sense than this widow's because we are God's children. God is a God of justice and of love. So in Matthew, Jesus asks, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who know or who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, a fortiori, the Father who is in heaven, will he give good things to those who ask him? We have a how much more kind of God and Father. We're not strangers to God, we who believe, but chosen by him. So God will not choose to ignore us who have been adopted, who are sons and daughters of the king. Um, once I was in a conversation with an absolute uh, stranger, I was in a gathering sort of, and a man in this setting broke down crying, and I couldn't help but feel compelled, though I hardly knew this man, to kind of put my hand on his shoulder and comfort him. It was like, how much more the God who knows everything about you and has chosen you to be his sons and daughters, how much more will he not seek your comfort who cry to him and who need him, right? He gives good gifts, and that's uh, this last sub-point. God is a wise God. Maybe at this point you're saying, okay, well, if God gives good gifts and uh, don't, won't withhold good things from his children, he, you know, marriage from the single of lonely, uh, or health or from the sick or riches from the poor, prosperity from the hardworking, light from those in darkness. Uh, how is it that he won't give good things to us now? You know, maybe some people have that against God or some of us in our hearts. But listen to verse 7. Will not God give justice to elect his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? These are uh, rhetorical questions, of course. And the answers are, no, he will not delay. Yes, he will give justice. We, like the disciples that Jesus is talking to, are looking for that very justice, although we don't know when it will come. Uh, some people want to say that it's soon. In fact, this is the broader context of the Gospel of Luke that we're looking at. In chapter 17, Jesus deals with the imminent return of Jesus because people will be marrying and giving in marriage and he'll come like the flood of Noah, he says back in 17. And so also here, there's a certain sense of waiting for that imminent coming. But as in the epistle of Peter, there are those who are tempted to say, you know, the scoffers who come saying, all things continue as they have been from the beginning. So how are we supposed to believe in his coming? But Peter answers them in his epistle by saying, don't overlook the fact that um, with the Lord a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. God is not slow concerning his justice, but is eager that we should repent. So God's delaying is only for a time of repentance. And during that time, God knows our sorrow. 
He knows our needs. In fact, you know, if it's one day for us, a thousand for the Lord, imagine how deeply he feels the needs that you have more than you do. Um, He feels it eminently more than we do. So James tells us that the judge is standing at the door. So do not fall into the temptation of uh, thinking that he's withholding from you something because he's like this miserly judge or that he himself is unjust. Although it it can be tempting to think that way. Jesus says to the church in Revelation 2, I know your tribulation and your poverty. He is not helpless or unloving. He knows and will save. And will use our prayers, in fact, as means to accomplish his ends. In fact, uh, our prayers are described that way in Revelation 8. God will use them to execute final justice. And our persistence in prayer will be rewarded. Our wise God uses all things to the counsel of his will in his timing. So that's what he says in verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to his elect speedily. He stands at the door. Do not lose heart, but go to God in prayer, for justice is coming. Which leads us to this last point that I have for you this morning. Be ready for his coming. Be ready for his coming. Keep coming in prayer, for his justice is coming. Nevertheless, be ready for his coming that he might find faith. So this is how verse 8 ends. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Are you faithful? Will you be found faithful when he returns? You know, it can feel easy given circumstances of life sometimes to lose heart, to grow faint. Um, There are situations with the church that cause us to grow faint in heart at times. Yesterday during the prayer meeting at 7 a.m., I think it was Dean who mentioned Pakistan and how, I think it was in August, after a torn page of the Quran was found, some of our brothers and sisters in Jaranwala, Pakistan, uh, against them was put out a local call for revenge. And in an attack that lasted for more than 10 hours, because the government didn't stop it there, uh, angry Muslims rampaged through the Christian area, desecrating their seminaries. 25 churches were destroyed. Everyone was looted. There's videos of them throwing the furniture out of uh, second-story apartments to burn in the public streets and shame Christians. Scenes like that that may cause you to faint and lose heart as a Christian. Another one that was mentioned in our prayer meeting, I think by Diane, was uh, how 82 churches in Canada have been burned, right? And for uh, false pretenses, of course. And it makes you uh, grow weary in heart, or it can. These things are not actually far from us here in the United States. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. And with the way the world whips like the wind, we who are 
on the rock are not to grow faint or lose heart. Now compare the world's justice with God's justice, right? Uh, for example, the world's justice, like here's an example from Stacey Abrams defending the right to murder children in the womb. America achieved, she said, a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade. Now what kind of justice is that? Maybe like a social justice warrior justice, but not God's justice, right? That stands for life from conception, uh, uh, he's true uh, protection of all life, right? A God who speaks for the downtrodden, the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow. That's what we hear in Exodus 22. You shall not oppress the sojourner, for you were once sojourners in the land of Egypt. You were also once in the womb. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. God's justice is coming and we need to cry out to Him. Are you crying out to God? Are you praying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Do you feel your need of the Lord? Uh, I've seen in the very short time I've been here, just the last few days, that you all are skilled in prayer. Uh, you know, you have our denominational magazine. You have uh, specific items to pray for in your bulletin as they're there today. And we have the prayer group that I mentioned that meets at 7 a.m., I guess every day. That's amazing. You have many opportunities to prayer, and this sermon is certainly not intended to shame anyone, but to encourage and to lift up. Not to add a to-do to your busy week schedule, but to alleviate the burden of injustice that weighs on every faithful Christian who sees injustice in the world. And to alleviate that burden by allowing you uh, and encouraging you to go to the Lord in prayer. Personally, as a family, at work, and at church, for our country, right? For our world, that we might go to, to God for those things. Not to feel ashamed and alone like the widow, but uh, to not be afraid or suffer shame. To not be disgraced. Or humiliated, but as we hear in Isaiah 54, uh, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood, for your Maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. So take heart because God is your judge, your Father, because you are his children whom he loves. Take heart because you've overcome the adversary, the flesh and the world, the unjust judge, right? When you cannot take heart, even take heart for whenever our hearts condemns us, uh, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Pray always and do not lose heart. And brothers and sisters, may you be found faithful at his coming. Always pray, do not lose heart. Let's pray now. Our Father, um, I pray that you would help us to be 
convicted about the injustices of this world. We know that you're not a tribal God only for us, but you are in the business of remaking your saints throughout the whole globe. We pray that we would see injustice wherever we find it, and that our heart would cry out, that it would not grow comfortable living in the milieu of injustice that we reside in, a culture of death. God, pray, we pray that you would allow us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we might get on our knees and get on our faces and clasp our hands together for prayer. God, we thank you more than that, that we have Jesus. We pray that you would help us to trust in him today, that we would hear his word constantly and seek him as the only savior for the elect. This we pray in his name. Amen.